Took a little bit longer to get up here than I thought, sorry. Well, good morning again, and happy Easter. What a wonderful time of uh, singing praises to God. I've shared this before. I've prayed so many times. Father, I'm glad that you have Jesus, because he was everything I wish that I could be. You deserve Jesus, and that you would give him up for sinners so that you would call us friends, that you would call us sons and daughters is amazing grace. What a great love, and uh, it never gets old singing about it. So today's Easter, and uh, unlike most Easter's, we're actually continuing uh, listening and learning and studying through the life of of Jesus, we're, we're not starting a new thing today. This is actually a continuation from what we've been studying. And uh, if you were here last week, you know that we uh, read about Jonah because in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus mentions the sign of Jonah, the prophet Jonah, a man that lived 800 years before Jesus came on the scene, uh, a real prophet that God called to go preach to an empire to go preach to a nation that did not know him or love him. And uh, so we looked at Jonah chapter 1 last week, and it was great to walk through that chapter, although it was sad because Jonah was such a rebel. He rebelled against God. He didn't want to share with his lost neighbors. He didn't want to go to this pagan nation. He saw them as his enemies. And Jesus told the people 2,000 years ago, Uh, I'm going to give you a sign, and the sign is going to be the sign of Jonah. And signs are really helpful. Signs are used to inform us of the truth. Like if you think of road signs. Now, when Jesus said the sign of Jonah, he wasn't talking about a road sign. But you know road signs. Road signs are similar. Uh, One of my favorite comedians, a man named Brian Regan, Uh, talked about a time where he was driving down the road and he saw a sign on the side of the road and it said, blasting zone ahead. And he thought about it for a minute and he said, shouldn't that just read road closed? I mean, (laughs) what's the point of a road sign that says blasting zone ahead? Uh, Sometimes signs are confusing. Uh, I took a picture of some signs in Newton. I thought I'd share them with you. Uh, Yeah. Just joking, these aren't real signs. I didn't take these pictures. But uh, sometimes the roundabout does feel like that left sign. Uh, And the alleys right off of Main Street, I never know which way to go. I'm always like, do I turn down this one? Is this the right way? I never know. And, uh, you know, the purpose of any sign is uh, so that we would know the right way to go. And when Jesus preached to the people and he said, I'm going to give you a sign, and there's just one sign I'm going to give you. The reason why he wanted, us, wanted to give us the sign is he wants us to know the right way to go, how basically the path that leads us to God, how to be uh, reunited, redeemed, reconciled back to God. And so in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said the sign is going to be the sign of Jonah. Well, what is the sign of Jonah? What is the sign of Jonah? Well, Uh, let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 because it begins with the belly of a fish. 
It actually begins with the belly of a fish. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, you know, Jesus is talking to the crowds, and uh, this is what he says to them. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, a sign is like a miracle. What they're looking for is something supernatural to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. And so, Jesus says it's an evil and adulterous generation that's seeking for this sign, and they will receive a sign, though, and it's going to be a sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So you're going to get a sign, and it's going to be the sign of Jonah. Well, when was Jonah in the belly of the fish? This is where we left off from last week. Through chapter 1, Jonah had been rebelling against God. I don't want to go, I don't want to go, and he just went down, down, down. Eventually, they throw him overboard, and the Bible tells us that God appointed, he designated a fish to swallow him. And you find that in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. So back to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish. And that word for fish means monster. It's like a sea beast, a sea monster. And it says the Lord appointed. That, that word appointed means he designated this and prepared this from the beginning. He knew that this fish he created so it would do this task. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then chapter 2, verse 1. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So this is where Jesus is getting, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, this is where he's referring to, the great fish swallowed Jonah. And so Jonah, in chapter 2, he's not writing this in the belly of the fish, right? I, I know if anybody see the VeggieTales Jonah... Or, or any kind of movie. And you just imagine when, almost like Pinocchio, Jonah gets swallowed and he's got his escritorio, his desk there, and he's writing with his pen and he's, he's sitting there. That's not what's happening, right? That is not the picture that Jonah gives us. It says this great fish swallows him and he prays to God after this fish follows him. And verses 2 through 10 is not a quote of his prayer. Once you read it, you realize... This, all these verses are not his prayer. Jonah wrote this after, way after, as a matter of fact, after he'd been vomited on the dry land, after he went to Nineveh. He's writing this after the fact. So Jonah chapter 2 is his account of when he got swallowed. This isn't quote verbatim what he was saying in the belly of the fish. But he says, I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. That's, that's what happened. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, you heard my voice. The, the word for Sheol is a, is a prominent place, it's a location, Sheol, and to the Jews, the Hebrews, they see this place as the grave. This is like a nickname for death, a nickname for the grave. And so he says, I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, you heard my voice. So he's, a, make, he's giving an account of God heard my voice when I cried out to him in distress. Then verse 3, when you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. Now, this is interesting. Did God throw him over the side of the boat? No, those pagan sailors that got saved did. 
They're the ones who threw him, but Jonah knew this was God moving through these pagan sailors who ended up getting saved, which is just a, I don't want to go back and preach last week, but it's so amazing that God used even his rebellion to save sinners. He used Jonah's rebellion to save these sailors. But Jonah knew this is really God's doing. God is the one behind all this. And so he's recounting, when you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. So he's underwater in the fish. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I, and I said, I have been banished from your sight. So this is a quote. Uh, if, if you have your, depending on what Bible you have, all these are indented because Jonah wrote this poetically. It doesn't mean that all this is his prayer. It's just this is the format, just like Genesis 1. That's not all a prayer uh, and 2. So he writes this with great Hebrew literature. Uh, and so he said, I said I have been banished from your sight. He knew that he was dying, that God had banished him from his sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. Verse 5, the water engulfed me up to the neck. This is actually a Hebrew idiom, a phrase to say, I was near death. I was about to die. It was up to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Uh, If you've ever been scuba diving or if you've ever been out in the ocean uh, and you got caught in thick seaweed, if you've ever been around seaweed, it's thick, it kind of slows you down, it's almost like quicksand. And you could just imagine Jonah uh, is talking about the seaweed that he's, that's wrapping up over his head, and, and all he could yell out was, kelp, kelp. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, yeah, someone's like, ah, it's a little cheesy. Yeah, if you're lactose intolerant, I'm sorry. Uh, he's writing this poetically to say, seaweed was wrapped around my head. This is talking, this is giving a picture of mummification. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. He's dying. This is a burial. This is wrapping around his head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. This phrase, this Hebrew way of saying the foundation of the mountains, this is another way of saying Sheol. He went all the way down to the grave, the foundations of the mountains. That's as low as you go in their uh, culture, in their idea of the world. They, they don't understand the world like the core, like we do, like in... Like when you take classes, I never took them obviously because I don't know how to say it right now, but you know how like there's a middle of the earth? They didn't think all that. They, they thought of the depths of the mountain, that's where death, that's where hell, that's where the grave is. So he's using this Hebrew poetic uh, writing to say, I called out to him, I knew I'd been banished, this is overwhelming me, See, we wrapped around my head, I'm dying. Uh, the earth gates shut behind me forever. You know what else that phrase means? I died. The earth's gate shut behind me forever. That's that's a way of talking about death. Then you raised my life from the pit. The word pit, shahot, that that word for pit means grave. It's also used to like talk about a trap. You raised my life uh, from the pit, Lord my God. And then verse 7. As my life was fading away, remember, he's writing after this, way after this, he's writing back, as my life was fading away, as I was dying, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. I called out to God 
as I knew I was dying, and you heard my prayer. And then verse 8, this isn't part of his prayer. He wasn't, he wasn't saying this in the belly of the fish. He's writing after, after the fact about this. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. He's talking about those that don't know the one true God. Those that don't give their heart and life to God, they're abandoning the one creator who made them, the one who loves them. They're giving him up. They have no, they have no other hope. These worthless idols, the, the word for idol is the same Hebrew word for vain, hebel or hevel, depending on how you want to pronounce it. It just means emptiness. It's, it's vain. It's an idol. It's not going to do anything for you. False gods cannot save you. They cannot give you peace. They cannot give you hope. They cannot fix your life. There is no other God except the one true God. And he writes about this. They're worthless idols. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will sacrifice to the Lord with thanksgiving. Why? Well, he's writing this after the fact because God saved him. He says, I will fulfill what I have vowed Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to Him. And then verse 10, I'll I'll read verse 17 in chapter 1 first. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then verse 10, then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land, which just goes to show you can't keep a good man down. In the, in the Midrash, it's like the rabbinic commentary. So imagine we go back thousands of years, maybe about 2,500 years from right now. We go back and all we have is the Old Testament. Uh, they didn't have electronics and books like we have today, but they had scrolls. And their commentary series, like they, they wrote commentaries on the Old Testament, uh, it's called the Midrash. It's, it's the rabbi's way, the teacher's way of saying, hey, we're keeping an account of what these verses mean. It's almost like writing down sermons uh, by the Jewish leaders, the Jewish teachers, and they want the people to have them. And so in the Midrash, they saw that Jonah coming out of the fish was a fulfillment by the prophet Hosea. The prophet Hosea in chapter 6 verse 2 talks about on the third day rising from the dead, and what they would teach their people is Jonah was a fulfillment of that. God raised him from the dead on the third day. And so uh, that's the Midrash, that's like a rabbinic commentary. And so when Jesus tells them, you're going to get no sign, I'm not going to give you any wonder, which, you know, it does beg the question, didn't Jesus perform signs and wonders? Didn't the people receive signs? Why does he say no sign will be given except the, the, the sign of Jonah? Because he's talking about the resurrection. He's telling them this is going to be the miracle. This is going to be the point in history. This is going to be the act that's going to change everybody's mind about who God is. Now, not everybody, not everybody believes. But this is the one doctrine, the one truth, the one act, the one sign that people can know Jesus really is who he says he is. And he conquered death. He can defeat death for us. And so that's the belly of the fish. So when Jesus says, I'm going to give you a sign, and it's going to be the sign of Jonah, just as he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, that's what he's talking about. And he uses that to say, just as he was in the belly of the fish, 
the Son of Man, and he's talking about himself because Jesus says he is the Son of Man, he will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Verse 40, for just as Jonah, the heart of the earth, uh, the son of Ma- so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But what is the heart of the earth? If I quizzed you, I bet nearly 90% of you would say the heart of the earth is the, it's the grave, it's the ground. You, you would imagine when Jesus says, just as Jonah, the Son of Man is going to be in the heart of the earth. But let me ask you a question. Was Jesus even in the ground ever? No, he was in a tomb. But let's say you want to say the tomb is the ground. Was he in the tomb for three nights? No. Well, Jesus is predicting something, and we believe that it's true. Why would he say three days and three nights if he wasn't in the tomb for three nights? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) He wasn't in the tomb for three nights because that's not what the phrase heart of the earth means. If you take that phrase, heart of the earth, it's a new phrase. It's not commonly used. Uh, Jesus used it. The, the word for heart is cardia. You might recognize that word like cardiac, talking about a heart doctor, heart surgery, cardiac. And so cardia means heart, but it, just, it doesn't mean the organ heart like we think of. It means the mind, character, will, or intention of something. So when you talk about the heart of the earth, you're talking about the will and the intention of the earth. By the way, the word earth doesn't only mean soil and dirt. The word earth, it's pronounced gay in the Greek. It means soil, land. It can also mean religion. So John used the phrase a lot talking about the world. He spoke of the earth not as the dirt but as this world system. He talked about, you know, like being in the world, that this world has a system to it, not the dirt but the people, the power, the prince of the air, that kind of idea. And so Jesus says, I'm going to be in the heart, the will and intention of the world for three days and three nights, which he was. He was subjected to the will of the world in those three days and three nights. And I want to show you that briefly in the New Testament. What are the three days and three nights? Well, we know that Jesus rose on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. The first day of the week is not Monday, like we all think. It's Sunday. Uh, it's Sunday, and you find that in Mark chapter 16, verse 9. So if you have the program, on the back is an outline. I put more verses on there than I'm going to read right now to you. You can go and look at this if you'd like to. Uh, but Mark chapter 16, verse 9, early on the first day of the week, after he had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. So Mark's account tells us that on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to a woman. Everything about this, by the way, is off if, if it's a story that someone's making up. No person in this culture would make up a story where the key eyewitnesses, the very first witnesses, were women. And so that's just another just tidbit of how, how much the disciples at this time wanted to give the truth, wanted to give the real story of what happened. And it says on the first day of the week. So day three of the three days and three nights is Sunday. Luke 18 tells us that the three days began not with the crucifixion, but with his arrest. When did the three days and three nights begin? When Jesus was handed over to the Romans. In Luke 18, verse 31, Then he took the twelve aside and told them, 
This is his prediction. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For, and this is important, verse 32 tells us the chronology. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on, and after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. So these three days begin in verse 32 when he's handed over to the Gentiles. Well, who are the Gentiles? The Roman soldiers. Those are the Gentiles that come to arrest him when Judas Iscariot leads them into the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus tells them, I'm going to be handed over to the Romans. He just calls them Gentiles. I'm going to be handed over to them. That's the start of the three days and three nights. So they begin with his betrayal and arrest. Well, this is really important to know. When does the day begin in Jewish culture? When does the day begin? Does it begin in the morning? No. Does it begin at midnight? No. In Jewish culture, the day begins in the evening. Because in Genesis chapter 1, that's where it all starts. And, uh, you know, when it talks about the six days of creation and the seventh day rested, when it goes through, it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. The Bible begins the day with the evening. So the Jewish mindset is Friday begins on Thursday night. That's Friday. So when do the three days and three nights begin? They begin on Thursday night. Luke repeats the chronology again in chapter 24. It's the story of the two disciples. You guys know the story of the, the two disciples. So if you know the Passion Week, the Easter week, Jesus dies on the cross on Friday. It's in the afternoon, around 3 in the afternoon. He dies. He uh, gets taken down. He gets put in Joseph of Arimathea's uh, tomb that he had, a new tomb. Uh, he gets put in there, and then Sunday morning, the, the women go to the tomb, and his body's missing. Where is he? He's not here. He's risen. And then it says, on some point on Sunday morning, Jesus goes walking with these two disciples that have no idea who he is. So Jesus didn't wear a disguise. You know, he didn't have the mustache with the glasses. I don't know what he did, but these two disciples were so distraught, and they're going to Emmaus, which is about a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem. Jesus joins them, and he pretends that he doesn't know what happened. So Jesus is like, tell me what happened. They're like, how do you not know what happened? Don't you know about this guy that was, that was dead? He died. The Romans crucified him. How do you not know this happened? Then in verse 20, these two guys say, talking about the story, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. They're distressed. All hope is lost. Don't you know the story that he got handed over? This was Thursday night when he got handed over, and they crucified him. Then they said, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. What are the these things? It begins when they handed him over. When did they hand him over? On Thursday night. So, next slide. How do you see the three days and three nights? The three nights are Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. But remember in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish day, the Jewish week, the day begins during the evening. So to them, it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Jesus tells them, I'm going to be handed over into the will and intention 
of the world, of the earth, of this pagan, lost, uh, broken world, I'm going to subject myself to them and I will be in there for three days and three nights. Not necessarily in the tomb, but in the heart of the earth. So Jesus used the sign of Jonah as a sign of his arrest, his betrayal, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what the sign of Jonah is about. The sign of Jonah, Jonah was different. Um, Jonah, Jonah's story is not the same as Jesus' story. In Jonah's story, Jonah rebelled against God. In Jesus' story, his own disciples rebelled against him. Jonah betrayed God. Jesus' own disciples betrayed him. If you look at the contrast between Jonah and Jesus, uh, there is a contrast. They're not the same. But the point is the resurrection. And Jesus told them, this is the sign that you'll get. So, why did Jesus place himself under their control? Why did he subject himself to the will and intention, the heart of the earth? Well, it's because he had to die. And you guys know this story, but not everybody in here knows this story. Why would God come down to earth 2,000 years ago? It's because God can't die. God is invincible. God, you cannot kill, die, kill God. The only way for God to be a sacrifice is His Son Jesus had to come to the earth to put on flesh, and that flesh was vulnerable. That flesh could be killed. That flesh could be flogged. That flesh could be hung on a cross, and that's what Jesus wanted to do for us. God sent His Son so that He could take our penalty, our wages for our sin. That's why Jesus came. His death was necessary for our salvation. Think about the weight of our sin that led to Jesus' death. The weight of our sin. And contrast it to Jonah. Jonah was racist. Jonah was arrogant. Jonah didn't want to follow God. Jesus, the complete opposite. Jesus desired to save all nations, loved all people, and wanted them to come to him and never sinned. The sign of Jonah is not just about the death, it's also about the burial. Think about Jonah in the fish. Why was Jonah in the belly of the fish? Because he was going the wrong way. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Instead, he wanted to go in the complete opposite direction, 2,200 miles toward modern-day Spain, away from, think, Joppa or Israel. He wanted to go in the opposite direction because he didn't want to follow God, and God had a fish that he designated from the time that he created the world. He had this fish appointed since the beginning, and he had him swallow him up and keep him for three days and three nights. Why? Well, to be the sign of Jonah. Because Jonah was headed in the wrong direction but not Jesus. Jesus was the opposite. He subjected himself. He, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was silent, gave himself up so that he could be our sacrifice. The disciples went through a time of waiting and uncertainty between Thursday night and Sunday morning. Jesus's burial was a time where his followers thought, it's over. All hope is lost. And this taught them the importance later on of what it means to trust God in the time of waiting when you feel like nothing makes sense. This isn't going like I thought it was going to go. Jesus' time of burial teaches us, trust Him. Trust Him on your Thursday night. Trust Him on that Friday when you think 
this, this is not going to work. It's over. We lost. Trust Him when you feel like you've lost. Trust Him on Saturday when it's supposed to be a rest day and all those disciples thought were, we got to get out of town. We got to go back to fishing. We just wasted the last three years of our life. This is not go like we planned. Trust Him in that time because Sunday's coming, as one famous preacher would say. And ultimately, Jonah, the sign of Jonah, which Jesus used for his own betrayal, death, burial, and resurrection, the sign of Jonah is about resurrection. Just as God, quote, in Jonah chapter 2, raised Jonah's life from the pit and vomited him on dry land, Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus did not stay dead. And that's the miracle that he offers the world. He is the Son of God, and he proved he was the Son of God because death could not hold him. So what's the proper response to the sign? Why did Jesus preach this sermon? Why did Jesus tell them, hey, here's the sign? Are they just supposed to walk away and go, okay, there's the sign? What are we supposed to do as the church, as people that may not know God? What do we do with the sign of Jonah? Well, there's only one proper response to the sign of Jonah because the sign of Jonah is ultimately about the resurrection. Our response to the resurrection must be repentance, which is the point of Jesus' passage. So if you look back at verse 38 in Matthew 12, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. These are, these are sinful people. Then verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That Thursday through Sunday morning, which is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, those three days and three nights, uh, Jesus was in the heart of the earth. And then verse 41, he tells us the point of the sign, the point of the message. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Ninevites, pagans, they were, they were atheistic toward God. They weren't atheists. Everyone was polytheistic at the time. They had their own gods. Uh, they did not trust in the one true God. They didn't believe in God. But they believed when Jonah came to him. Why? Well, what would you do if a man was swallowed up by a fish for three days and three nights, and God raised him from the dead, he plops on land, walks 600 miles or travels 600 miles someday, make, it takes about two weeks, gets to Nineveh and goes to this great city and says, I've got a message for you. It was only five words long. His message, his sermon was only five words. And I don't want to see smiles out there, okay? That's not how we do it. But his, his sermon was only five words long. And he tells them, uh, 40 more days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I know that's like eight words in English, but it's five Hebrew words. Um, that's all he tells them, but why do they believe him? Well, if you travel with me to Nineveh, if you, if you read uh, Jonah chapter 3 and Jonah chapter 4, you find out Nineveh is a city, not an empire. The Assyrian Empire was bigger than Nineveh, but Nineveh was one of the biggest cities this world has ever seen, ever. It took three days to travel through one city. Three days to travel through Nineveh. 
that's, that, imagine like 90 miles long, basically. Uh, it took forever to get through, or 90 miles throughout. It was a big city. Their walls were 100 feet tall. Their towers were 100 feet above that. They would have 200 feet towers alongside their outer border to protect their city. That was huge. Uh, we learn in Jonah chapter 4 that there was about 600,000 people in this one city. 600,000 is a lot. That's more than Wichita. And Wichita is like the biggest city we know here, right, in Kansas? Isn't it like the biggest city? It's like 600,000 people. 120,000 didn't know their right hand from their left. Talking about children. There was 120,000 children in Nineveh. And it says beyond all belief, this makes no sense. In verses 5 through 9 in Jonah chapter 3, I I won't have it on the screen. It says that all the residents of Nineveh, all 600,000, believed the preaching of Jonah. Because when a dead man comes back to life, and tells you that the God who made the sea and made the fish, raised me from the dead, sent me to tell you this story, people listened. Even the king called for repentance, and that's what we see. For they repented. The king said, even the cattle are going to put sackcloth and ashes on. So you had cattle running around Nineveh with pajamas on, basically, ashes on their head. Everyone had to repent. Everyone. The sign of Jonah. Do you know that the, the town Nineveh, where it got its name, Nineveh means the residence of Nunu. I know that sounds kind of funny. You know what Nunu is? Fish. It's a fish town. It wasn't even on the coast. Now, there was a river. It was over there to the east. It wasn't even on the coast. It was called the fish town. It was uh, established by Nimrod, one of Noah's great-grandsons. It was called the fish town. Isn't that great? that God would call a great monster of a fish to swallow him and spit him back up, that that was part of his story, to go to fish town. And so, the word of the Lord hit them to the core to their being. And so, we see that the sign of Jonah is really a sign, a message of hope and redemption. The biggest revival the world has ever seen. This is the biggest, spot, this is the biggest revival recorded in history to this day. Right? If, you took, if you took Billy Graham and, and, and all of the revivals here in the last 250 years here in our country, if you take the revivals over in, in Africa, in China, all the revivals, this is the biggest one-day revival the world has ever seen. About 600,000 people come to faith in God, and they all repent and turn to Him. Now, 60 years later, around 722 B.C., they overtook the northern kingdom, Assyria overtook the, they took them captive. And that was part of God's plan too. I don't understand it all. That's how he worked it out. But he wanted to save this pagan nation and he still wants to do that today. God has given us, the church, a message, a message of the sign of Jonah, the, the sign of resurrection that God raised Jesus up from the dead. He gave us that message so that we could tell people death is not the end. If you think death is the end, it's not the end. It doesn't have to be the end. You can have eternal life. You can be forgiven of all your sins. You can have real life. You can have real hope, and it's only found in Jesus, and that's the sign that Jesus gave. Today's such a great day because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and the sign of Jonah is resurrection. That is the sign And uh, what a great gift that God gave to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, Jonah's story. It's so 
fun and uh, illuminating to, to think of uh, his story and what you did in his life and how you used him to save others. And we know that you're still in the business of saving the lost. We wouldn't be here uh, if you were done. You're, the reason why you haven't returned, you tell us in the scriptures, is because you do not wish that any would perish, but that all would come uh, to saving faith. Would you save those that, uh, that turn to you? We know you will, and I, I pray for all my friends in this room that you would draw us closer to you, that you would use us today to celebrate your resurrection. Thank you for defeating death. No one else has given their life so that, so that your enemies would be saved, of which I was one. I was your enemy. I was lost and I deserved death. And because of your mercy, because of your compassion, because of your love, you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for us. Thank you for that. Would you continue to be with us today as uh, we celebrate with friends and family? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.